Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Here we are just two weeks out from our Vision Sunday And because we are two weeks out from our Vision Sunday service, we're starting a new series that is called The Church. Everyone say The Church. And the reason I feel to talk about The Church in the lead up to Vision Sunday is because Jesus has a vision. Do you know that? And the vision that Jesus has, the one and only vision, the sole vision that Jesus Christ has is to build the church. You can read this in Matthew chapter 16. It's a passage of Scripture that I reference often, Matthew chapter 16. I'm not going to read from it today, but it is a passage of Scripture that I reference often. And it's so powerful because you'll see Jesus sitting around with the disciples, which is not uncommon. And there He was asking the disciples this question, who do the people say that I am? And when He said, who do they say? There were lots of answers. Have you ever noticed when it comes to what they say, there's lots of talk? They say this, they say that, they say the other. But then he broke it down and he got real personal. He says, okay, enough about they say. What about you? What do you say? And then it went real quiet. Just like that. It went really quiet. But Peter, under divine revelation of the Holy Spirit, speaks up and he says, you're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. You're the Messiah. You're the one that was prophesied about. You're not a Jesus. You're the Jesus. You see, Jesus was a common name at the time that Jesus was around. He says, you're not a Jesus. You're the Jesus. You're the one Isaiah spoke about. You're the one Jeremiah spoke about. You are Genesis chapter 3, verse 19. You are the Messiah. You are the one that was promised. You are here in flesh before our very eyes. And Peter says, uh, Jesus says, wow, this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. In other words, if you want to build the church, it's going to be on a foundation of a revelation of who He is. If you are serious about building the church, you need a revelation of who He is. That's what Jesus is teaching us through this little moment. And then He says this, He says, because this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven, I'm going to tell you who you are. And He says, you are no longer be known as Simon, you'll be known as Peter. If you are committed to building the church, it's going to take a revelation of who He is, which leads to a revelation of who you are. God wants to give you a revelation of who He is in order that you may find out who you really are. Peter walked around as Simon for many, many years, but he had a God encounter and there was a shift, there was a change and he came to understand who he really was. And it's my prayer for you today that you would have this wisdom, this revelation in order that you might know God better, but that you might also know you better that you might have an understanding as to who you really are. 2019, I pray and prophesy that you would understand who you really are. Because it's going to take a revelation of who God is and who you are in order to build the church. And out of this revelation of who God is and who you are, Jesus says to Peter, and it's on you, Peter, I will build my church. In other words, in order to build the church, it's going to take a threefold revelation. One, a revelation in who God is. Two, a revelation in who you are. And three, a revelation in the purpose as to why you have been created the way that you've been created. 
Jesus said to Peter, you are, uh, uh, are going to build my church. I've put gifts in you. I've put talents in you. And it's through you I'm going to build my church. And it was Peter on the day of Pentecost who stood up and preached. Not all of them. That was Peter's gig. But I want you to know, every one of us in this place has a gig to fulfil. When we talk about building the church, I want you to know, I'm not talking about a few paid professionals. I'm talking about people that love God, have a revelation about who He is. And as a result, have a revelation of who we are. And we come into an understanding of our purpose and design so that we might serve Him wherever we may be in order to build the church. That's what I believe God was saying through Jesus to Peter and the disciples all those years ago. And it's what I believe He's saying to us today. In other words, Jesus had the vision, the strategy and the people to see the church of God built. And that's important to Him. In actual fact, it's so important to Jesus. It's the only thing that He's building the earth today is His church. And it's the only thing that He'll come back for is His church. You see, the church is not just a place. It's a special place. It's a place of purpose. And over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at the church being such a place. It's a place where we can belong. It's a place where we can believe and it's a place where we can behave. And we're going to break that down over the next three weeks. But today we're looking at the church being a place that we can belong. Everyone shout out at me, belong. belong. Fantastic. And if you would, turn with me to Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Luke chapter 10, in your Bibles or on the screen, it says this. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus, which happened often, I might add. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, and how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. It could have ended there. It could have ended there, but... This expert in the law wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus, then who is my neighbour? When I read the Word of God, I, I kind of see in pictures and I imagine this expert in the law standing there thinking to himself, I'm going to take this further. Or maybe he was even prompted by someone nearby to take it further. And he said, then who is my neighbour? And I imagine this expert in the law looking at those around him going, you like that, fellas? like that. I think we've got Jesus. And, and maybe one of those closest nudged him on the show and said, that, that's a great question. I think we've got him now. And, and then Jesus responds by saying this. There was a man who was going down from Jer Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell into the hands of a robber. I imagine like, oh, he's telling a story. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and he went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled by where the man was, he saw him and he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. He put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to an innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. What's happening here? Jesus was asked a question by an expert in the law as to how he could inherit eternal life. 
And Jesus, as he often does, answered this question with a question. He says, what is written? I want you to note that Jesus takes them back to not a thought, not an idea, but what was written. Can we, can we solve our issues and differences with what is written? And he says, what is written? And the expert in the law says, well, it's written that we should love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, body and soul, and we should love our neighbour as ourselves." And Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Just do that. But the expert in the law, wanting to justify himself, asks a further question, and it was this question, then who is my neighbour? Now, what that tells me is the expert in the law obviously had never seen Sesame Street. Because any one of us who have seen Sesame Street know exactly who our neighbour is because it's the people that you meet when you're walking down the street. It's the people that you meet each day. It's that's it's, it's who it is. It's the people that you meet. When you just happen to be walking down the street, it's the people that you meet in the shopping centres, it's the people that you meet at school, it's the people that you meet in the workplace, it's the people that you meet everywhere you go. That's who your neighbour is. It's the people that you have the ability to be able to help. That's who your neighbour is. I was in the shopping mall the other day at the plaza here and there was a man looking for a car park and I happened to be going to my car, which I knew was parked just in the same aisle that this car was travelling down. But I realised if I kept walking at the pace I was walking at, he would go past my car and miss my parking space. And the plaza was packed. And I know what it is to be a man looking for a car park and how frustrating that is. And he had his whole family with him. And I thought if I just picked up the pace a bit, I could let him know that there's a park just here that no one else knows about because it's my car. And I'm going to give it to you. And I was with Kath and BJ, and so I left Kath and BJ. I, picked, I actually ran to him. I knocked on his door. I frightened the life out of him. <laughs> I think I gave him a heart attack. And I just got him to crack the window. I said, I said you want a park? There's just a park in here. And his shock turned to relief. One, because I wasn't going to stab him. But two, because I was going to give him the elusive car park that he was searching for. And his face lit up. And then, then I put the pressure on Kath. I said, come on, Kath. Come, come on, Beach. Hurry up, hurry up. Guys, wait for a car park. Because there's nothing worse than when you do find a car park. And you know where I'm going. They take forever. They've got the, pro, the pram. Get the kid out. I'm going, come on, hurry up. And I thought, I don't want to keep him waiting because I know how frustrating that is. I don't want to bless the guy and curse him at the same time. We just want to, we want to be a double blessing. And so we got in the car quickly and I pulled out of the car and I happened to drive past him on my way out. And he cracked the window. He said, mate, this is what he says. You're a legend. Well played. Never seen anyone do that before. And I thought, well, I made this guy's day. It didn't cost me anything. It's just the simplest of little things that I was able to do, that you're able to do, that we're all able to do over and over and over again. Who is our neighbour? It's just the people that we meet every day and we have the ability to be able to help. In other words, the man that had been beaten up was a neighbour to the priest. He was a neighbour to the Levite. And he was a neighbour to the Samaritan. He was a neighbour to all three. That's the point what Jesus was making. He was a neighbour to all three. Unfortunately, 
Two of the three, the people that should have known better, did what I call the look away. Some of you would know what the look away is. That is when you see someone or something that you don't want to see and you just do the look away. Come on, let's be honest. Some of you have been at the plaza and you've seen me (laughs) and you just did the look away. Or you've seen somebody else and it may not be that you don't like them, it's just that you don't have time to talk to them. And, and so you just pretend like you just didn't see them. And, 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 a, and a good one was, you know, is, is like to bend over and do your shoelace up. Just that. If, if you want some, just write these tips down. This is great. The look away 101, pretend you're doing up your shoelace. Uh, another good one is if you just pretend, you know, you're walking, oh, you're dropping something, just, just picking it up. Oh, I didn't see you. This is effectively what the priest and the Levite are doing. Hey, with modern technology today, the best one is just get your phone out. <laughs> Pretend you're on the phone. Yeah? And, and if you do see them, you just... <laughs> don't, don't judge me. You know what I'm saying? If you're going to do that, make sure your phone is on silent because if you're doing that and it starts ringing, it's like busted. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to get caught pretending you're on the phone and then it rings. So if you're going to do the look away with the phone, then make sure it's on silent. Write that down. That's going to save you a lot of embarrassment, all right? <laughs> hey, if, if we're not going to do the right thing, we might as well do the wrong thing right, if you know what I'm saying. So, <laughs> so write that down. If you're going to do the look away, do it well. That's what I'm saying. But this Samaritan didn't do the look away. He actually got involved. And the interesting thing about the story is the fact that Jesus would even use a Samaritan in the story because Samaritans were despised, certainly by the Jewish community. In actual fact, I imagine the teachers are all struggling to hear this story because he mentioned one of them was a Samaritan. But here's the point. Not only was the Samaritan in the story, the Samaritan was a hero. And that's really hard to take because he should not have been the one that was left to help this man who'd been beaten because he was a Samaritan. It'd be kind of like hearing that a Port Adelaide supporter stopped to help a Crow supporter. It's like unheard of, wow, hang on, I'm offended. Gonna leave the church over that little thought. This is what's going on here. But but this is what I hear God saying to us as a church today. Because remember, the challenge that came 2000 years ago is still the same challenge to us today. And it's this, that we shouldn't be leaving it to Samaritans. It's interesting that first the priest, second the Levite, and then only third the Samaritan came along. I believe what the Bible is trying to tell us is that God is going to give us the first opportunity as the church to get involved in people's lives. And if we miss it, guess what? He's going to give us the second opportunity as the church to get involved in people's lives. But if we don't take the first opportunity or the second opportunity and we miss our opportunity, God loves people too much to leave them alone. Remember, He loves the whole world. And He'll even use non-Christians. He'll use atheists. He'll use anyone to help anyone that is in need. And that's a massive challenge to me as I trust it is to each and every one of us as a church. Are we meeting the needs of the people in our neighbourhood? Or are we like the priest or the Levite in this story who just do the look away time and time again? I don't advocate for changing anything in the Scriptures, but most of you, when you read this passage of Scripture, you have a heading called the Good Samaritan. If I could change anything, I would change the heading of that particular parable. 
from the Good Samaritan to this. Don't leave it to Samaritans. I think that's really what Jesus is saying. It shouldn't be left to the Samaritans because we should be the ones who get in there first. You see, the priest and the Levite, they knew better. They actually taught this stuff. In Leviticus 19, verse 33, get this. It says, when a foreigner leaves, uh, sorry, lives with you in the land, don't take advantage of him. Treat the foreigner the same as a native. Love him like one of your own. Remember that you were once foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. See, the priests and the Levites not only knew this, they taught it. So when they saw this Samaritan, when they saw this man, they, they taught what they should do. They not only knew it, they taught it. There's a good chance that the Samaritan never heard this, but he did it anyway. That's a challenge to me as it is to us as a church. But here's what I believe the biggest question that Jesus is asking. Not necessarily who is your neighbour, but the big question Jesus is really asking is this. Do you love your neighbour? Having established who our neighbour is, the question is, do you love them? See, this isn't a doing story so much as it is a love story. Because God knows that if you love someone, action will follow. So it's not so much a doing story as it is a love story. See, God's not trying to get us to do more. God's trying to get us to love more. And the context of this story is one of love. Before the Samaritan did anything, we read that he took pity on the man that was beaten. He had compassion on the one that was beaten. That's where it started. It started as an inside job. He, he, he took pity and compassion on the man. You, you see, for us, I don't think we lack opportunity so much as we lack compassion, if we're honest. See, compassion is not an emotion, it's a choice. Martin Luther King Jr. said this, the first question which the priest and the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But the Good Samaritan reversed the question and said, if I don't stop to help the man, what will happen to him? You see, when Jesus was on the cross, he was challenged and mocked and asked to come down off the cross. You say you're the Christ, you say you're the chosen one. Why don't you come down off the cross and save yourself? But here's a newsflash. Had Jesus saved himself, he would never have been able to save us. In choosing to die, we get saved. Had he saved himself, you and I would not live in the state of salvation that we find ourselves this morning. I'm so grateful that Jesus chose not to save himself, but to save others. In actual fact, the bedrock of New Testament Christianity is about living for others. And, and, and I, I love church, I do. And, and this is what I know. This is a big statistic that most people, probably 80 to 85% of people find Christ in their formative years, their teenage years, in the earlier part of their life. When we don't have much life experience and we're just young and dumb and we just believe God for anything and we make big claims that we'll serve you all the days of our lives and we'll give our whole life to you and then life happens to us. And it's as we step out of our comfort zone and we start speaking the things that God is speaking to us about, we start putting into practice the things that we're reading and we start helping and we get hurt. 
And if you get hurt and get knocked back a few times, you, you tend to go into what I call the self-preservation mode. We're no longer about saving others, it's all about saving ourselves. And I see this time and time and time again. And I not only see it in other people's lives, I see it in my own life. This month marks the 25th anniversary of our church. And so we've seen a lot in that time. And uh, we've seen people come, we've seen people go, we've seen people go really badly. Uh, we've seen some, some deaths, we, we've, we've seen some divorces, we've seen some horrible things, we've seen some great things. But, but it's a lot to take in over a long period of time and it can get jading on your soul and it get jading on your spirit. And, and so I'm not here judging, I, I get it. It hurts, it does. But the moment we go into a place where we're just uh, uh, trying to preserve ourselves, we're no longer being the church. And so it's my prayer that each and every one of us would not feel judged or condemned, but that we would have a fresh revelation of who He is. That we'd have a fresh revelation of who we are. And then we might have a fresh revelation of our purpose. So instead of retreating, that we'd get back involved in the game again. Because I believe that's what Jesus is talking about in this parable and through me today. See, for people to belong, truly belong, they need to feel loved. If this is to be a place of belonging, a place where you can belong, they need to feel loved. Belonging starts with love. Before we can expect people to believe a certain thing or behave a certain way, we must create as the church a very real sense of belonging. Would that be fair to say? And so I just want to highlight a few things about belonging for us as a church today based upon this little story that Jesus told. And the first one is simply this, that belonging is inclusive. In other words, it crosses the social barriers. As I've already mentioned, Jesus intentionally put the Samaritan in this story to showcase this thought that we are to be a strictly inclusive group of people when it comes to the people of this world. Every Sunday you walk into this building, there's a sign up here that says, you are welcome. Well, we need that to be not only on our screen, but we need it to be in our heart. And so the challenge I put to us as a church today is, who are your Samaritans in your world? Are your Samaritans based upon the colour of their skin? Are your Samaritans based upon their sexuality? People ask me all the time, do you welcome those of different sexual orientation than you? I say, absolutely, everyone's welcome. You're all welcome. This may be a challenge to some of you, as it is to me, but you're all welcome. Wherever you are in life, you are welcome in this place. Our doors have to be open to all. All are welcome in this place. I said in both the other services already that uh, when it comes to leaving your uh, personal items on the seats, I wouldn't do that in this church because of some of the people that come into this church. Because not everyone comes into this church as clean or as prim and proper as you would like. And for you to expect your phone not to go missing because you left it on your favourite seat is a little bit idealistic in this church. You may be able to do that in other churches, but in this church where we say you're all welcome, I wouldn't leave my phone on this chair. I wouldn't. And I'm the pastor. I wouldn't leave my iPad. I certainly wouldn't leave my wallet. It would go missing in a church like this. I'm not condoning theft, but I am saying thieves are welcome. 
This is the challenge, isn't it? This is the challenge for us as a church. And, and so I'm not going to leave my phone. I'm not going to leave my wallet. I'm not going to leave my iPad. You know what? Some days I think I'm not even going to leave my wife on the seat. I'm just going to pick her up. I'm going to take her too. <laughs> this is where the rubber hits the road stuff. We say we're welcoming, but is it really? Do we really mean that? Now remember, this is just part one of a three-week series. So we, we're going to get to behavioural change and all the rest of it. But as far as an open door, as far as who's welcome, as far as who's going to be given an opportunity to hear the gospel and let God do some God change in them, who's, who's open, who's going to be welcome? Everyone. Because God so loved the whole world. And they not, might not might be the right colour for you or might, may not be the right sexual orientation for you or they might not be the right smell for you. But you have to say, you know what, we have to put that aside. And say you're welcome. Otherwise, we're not the Samaritan in this story. We are the priest or the Levite in the story. And I'm not here pointing any fingers. This is a challenge. But I want this place to be a place of belonging. A place that you can invite people and they can feel a very real sense of belonging. Because belonging, true belonging is inclusive. Secondly, belonging takes risks. This Samaritan took a risk in stopping to help this man that was beaten, battered and bruised. I say that because he didn't know how real the situation was until he investigated. This man that lay beaten, battered and bruised just could have been a decoy to stop someone in order for his friends in the bushes to attack him. You ever seen those movies where the car is broken down on the side of the road? Someone stops to help the broken down car only to get attacked? It's a decoy. This could have been that. And there's no guarantee it wasn't. That's where risk comes in. And this Samaritan took a risk. He put his own life, his own possessions on the line in order to help someone who seemed to need help. And at the risk of it going horribly wrong, he had to go anyway. And again, I believe for the church, if we're going to be a church that is a place where people can belong, we need to take some risks and step out of our comfort zone. Maybe even today we can do that and just, just say hello to someone. Maybe someone you've never said hello to before. Maybe you can practice that today with someone in this church. Maybe you can practice that today with someone at school or in the workplace or whatever the case may be. Let's just step out of our comfort zone if we're going to be a place of belonging. Thirdly, belonging makes time. See, the priest was going somewhere. The Levite was going somewhere. But can I just add, the Samaritan also had places to go and places to be. It wasn't like he was just wandering around and had nothing to do. He was a busy man. He had places to be. But he went out of his busy schedule to take time out to help people. Now, I get every one of us in this room is busy. The reason I know that is because I stand on the door, hey, going, this is the most common answer, particularly for men. Busy, 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 busy. We're busy. I get it, we're busy. But the moment we're too busy to stop and help some people, we have to ask, is our busyness worth it? See, the goal is not to be busy. The goal is to be effective. I think sometimes, particularly we as men, we tend to pride ourselves on being busy because busy sounds important. 
Busy sounds productive, but I know a lot of busy people aren't productive at all. And so if we're going to be a place of belonging, we need to make some time, just like the Samaritan did. And so can I put a challenge to us, even today, instead of just rushing off, you know, Kath and I try to get to the back door by the end of the service in order to say goodbye to as many people as we can. Uh, I'm amazed with my best effort of getting here as quick as I can, the amount of people we, we miss. And again, no judgment. And, and today, maybe you've got something on. And so again, no judgment. But surely that can't be week after week after week after week after week after week after week. Surely there's going to be a place where we say, you know what? This place that I call Victory Church, this place that I call home, I'm actually going to I'm actually going to hang around and get to know some of the people. I, I love our family. And they're getting busier as they have university and part-time jobs and boyfriends and girlfriends. Life is getting hectic. And we have to make some time to get together. And we have to prioritise the getting together because we're still a family. When they were younger, it was easy. Monday nights was our junk food night, it was our movie night, it was, it was the night we got together. That kind of has gone by the way, so we have to grab moments and plan where we can get together as a family. And I, I want to say, can, can we make some time in our busy schedules to get together as a family? One of the things we want to do on Vision Sunday this year is get our 8.30 service and our 9.30 service down west to come together for a 10 a.m. service so that I don't have to rush our Vision Sunday moments. I did that last year and I felt I didn't do either service any good or any justice. It was okay, but, but I just want to get us all together as a big family and just, instead of rush it, just take some time and just talk about what we plan on doing in the next 12 months, how we plan on celebrating the 25th anniversary and then at night, we want to do something real different. We want to have a barbecue, and we want to make good of our um, outdoor area there. We want to get people baptised. We want to do it outside. We're going to put the font outside. And just, I just want to make it really casual, family, get-together. I just want to give you two weeks' notice so you can put in your busy schedules where it would be a great place to be and spend a little bit of extra time on Vision Sunday. So it's not just about doing, but it's about our being. God created us as human beings, not just human doings. And I think the tendency for all of us is just to get into human doing mode. And so again, if you're one of those that just shoot straight off, church is not a place we attend. It's, it's a group of people, a community that we do life with. And lives are changed as a result of community. It takes a village to raise a child. I thank God that our kids are growing up in a village called Victory Church, that they get counsel and wisdom, not just from their dad or their mom, but they get it from people like their youth pastors, Dan and Ashara. I'm so grateful for them because they've helped me in my parenting. I'm grateful for that. And I think of just recently Auntie Leanne, who's talking to my daughter about some things. And I just thank God. I feel like our kids are better for the village than just Tony and Kath. I'm so grateful for that. And I believe that your children would be better off if we could embrace the village and not just attend the village. Are you with me? And as the band come up, that'd be fantastic. Number four, belonging is sacrificial. In other words, it makes sacrifices. The Samaritans sacrificed more than just time and energy. 
he also used some of his own provisions. Margaret Thatcher said this, no one would remember the Good Samaritan if he only had good intentions. He also had money. Which I think is quite a blunt way of putting it, but a good way nonetheless. And this is what I know about a church. A church that has a sense of belonging needs to have that across the board. And even its building must suggest that you can belong. And you would have noticed... uh, some of the work that's gone out in the front here with our landscaping. Why would you do that? Some of you might say, why would you waste money on that? I'll tell you why. Because we want to create a place that's inviting. We want to create a place that says, you're welcome. We want to create a place that people can hang after the service, before the service. I don't know about you, but I think it's money well spent when I see young kids on their skateboards. I, I, just, I just think it's money well spent. And before you attack the church, just think about how real estate and housing has changed over 30 years. If you build a home 30 years ago, like I did, it looked a lot different than the last home I built. It's all about open plan and lifestyle and things have changed in in real estate and housing. If you build a brand new home today, you wouldn't build it the same way you built the home 30 years ago. It's a different world. I celebrate what influences church has done up the road because I remember when that was built by Pastor Andrew Evans in a day where it was all about the massive auditorium. Foyer didn't have much thought or reflection to because it wasn't a big deal back then. People come in their Sunday best, they came and they went. It's a different world now. The world has never been more lonelier than it is right now. People are craving connection like never before. The world are create, craving a sense of belonging. And so I celebrate the changes that they've made to their building and their big foyer. It's inviting, it's welcomed, it's altered their auditorium. It looks totally different than the building that Pastor Andrew built all those years ago. But oh, it's, a, it's a much needed change because we live in a different era. We live in a different season. Does that mean Pastor Andrew got it wrong? No, not at all. It's a different time, it's a different season took incredible faith for him to get that building up. Amazing. And the changes I embrace and say, well done. I look at the plaza, spent $50 million on their renovation. I don't know if you're anything like me. I just love going up there. It just just feels so good. I I could just find myself sitting there. If I'm going to sit somewhere and just have a coffee, I'll I'll go there. I I just enjoy the environment. Connecting with people. And so when it comes to the things we want to do in this church, we'll talk more about it on Vision Sunday, but, but we want to continue our landscaping to this side of the building. And, and if we're honest, our, our cafe needs a refurb and, and our kids' ministry has been sadly overlooked and neglected and that needs a sprucing up and, and all that takes money. But it's not so that we can say, look at our building, look at our church. It's like, you know what? Everything about you says something about you. And we want a warm, welcoming place of belonging. And we want our building to prophesy that. We want us to prophesy that. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 